You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Labor Day is amped up to begin with, yeah. but they're straight up going to, there's going to be ejections and fist fights down after playing each other four times in five weeks. Get out of here. Grab some poutine and a double double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Cura. That's yeah. Grey Cup me, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Travis Curra, and today's show is all about the East Division. I see this division is going to be wild. We're going to talk tie cats with Josh Smith of Podski Wee Wee and 3downnation.com. Cliffy D, the author of the Al's Turnative and co-host of the Alouette's Flight Deck Podcast. Janine Richaud of the Mouchoir Podcast. And Sean Bowen, the digital and in-stadium host with the Toronto Argonauts. Again, these chats were recorded before the end of training camp and preseason, so if anything has changed, that's why. This episode of Two and Out is brought to you by ATB, and ATB was built to help Alberta businesses from CEBA applications to lending information, debt consolidation loans, or deferrals, whatever your business is facing right now, ATB is here to help with expert advice. And with today's economy top of mind in business, stay up to date with the Future Of podcast hosted by ATB's Chief Economist, Todd Hirsch. To learn more, visit ATB.com. In the huddle with Kura and Ty on the Two and Out podcast. And joining the Two and Out podcast for probably the first time since the pandemic. <laughs> I think Janine from the Mouchoir podcast has done shows with me before, but it's been a while. It's good to see you, and I'm happy to hear from you. Thanks for coming on to talk Red Blacks. Thank you, Travis. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be on. And uh, yeah, it's been a while since we've had the chance to talk football. So super happy to get into it. So after a Grey Cup loss for the Red Blacks in 2018, they have won a combined six games over the next... That's probably tough to hear. (laughs) But in comes Sean Burke, one of uh, the longtime members of the front office in Hamilton as the new GM... How's our nation feeling heading into 2022? Oh, well, I think uh, we were all, you know, kind of wondering what we could expect from Sean Burke. Didn't know too, too much about him. And then free agency hit. And we signed, what was it, 63 new players, it seems like? Like we (laughs) just, it was just signing after signing after signing. And the dominoes, uh, the dominoes really fell after Mazzoli was signed as QB. So certainly Burke uh, has really impressed Ottawa. And it's not just because he brought in, you know, a quarterback. It's because he recognized there were weaknesses across, really, the entire team. And he worked to fill each and every one of those weaknesses. To me, what impressed me the most was bringing in four very good O-linemen, because that was a big part of our problem last year. And and to me, that showed he's not just going after the glory, like he's going after what we really need. And that's what we needed in a in a general manager, someone who understood all of that. So it certainly has impressed so far. Has it been uh, strange seeing uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli, a, a longtime ne- nemesis of the Ottawa Red Blacks, wearing red and black? For sure. It's definitely been a little bit strange, but, uh, you know, you can really learn to love a guy quickly when he starts to perform for you. (laughs) I don't think he'll have any trouble fitting in here. (laughs) I think one of my uh, favorite things about him and the relationship with the head coach that fans don't normally get to see is that the behind the R YouTube series Uh uh, where Lapo and Mazzoli or at least Lapo, he really wants to install things in the offense that he is comfortable with and he's been successful with in his football career in the past. Like that YouTube series and the relationship eh? between the coach and the quarterback, it's been awesome to see. Yeah, no, what a great idea from the Red Blacks to put that out. And, um, you know, I think it speaks to what they recognize. Like there was a lot of 
mistrust with between fans and between OSEG, which seems funny to say because OSEG had such a great reputation they out did. of the gate, right? And then, you know, the last couple of years and just we just felt like they weren't taking the poor performance seriously. Like they were just trying to turn things around without actually doing anything. And so I, to me, that sort of behind the scenes uh, YouTube show that they're doing is a way for them to rebuild trust with fans and show that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes. We're going to show you all the work we're doing. We're going to show you the fun we are having with this new group of guys, what it's like. And it's just making people feel like, okay, they get it. They get it. They needed to reach back out to us and they needed to reestablish a relationship. Feels good. Feels really, really good. Was not only Sean Burke coming in as the GM, was it almost a change in philosophy with Oseg itself? Like letting the football people do football things if they need to. Like there's all sorts of conspiracy theories. And I don't know if I want to call them conspiracy theories, but theories that they were trying to not spend too much on players or not spend too much in free agency. Like you said, it seemed like February was just a completely different approach Mm. from the team. Yeah. And, you know, Oseg will say that they've always spent to the cap. Um, And, um, you know, we'll, people will believe that or not believe it. And, you know, they'll say that they always spent to the cap and that the performance issues were other, were other things. It wasn't Mm -hmm. about the dollars. Um, A lot of people don't believe that. Some people do believe that. I don't think it really matters. Um, For me, what kind of matters, and I'll say this, Marcel Desjardins, has a lot to be thanked for bringing yeah. a great cup to the city in its third year, a great cup appearance in its second year. Like Matt, he did a masterful job in the first years. And I don't like to talk about people, you know, losing their jobs mm-hmm. ultimately, but that's the sports business. But there was something in his last couple of years that I, I don't know if it was a stubbornness about the way that he just wanted to keep, it was like he couldn't get out of his way of doing things, whether or not the owners were interfering. I honestly don't know, Travis, um, but whatever happened, the owners and the management realized we just need somebody that we're going to give some reins to, and we're going to yeah. let them do what a football general manager is supposed to do. And we're going to get out of the way. And that's clear. That's clear that that's what they've done. And now Burke has, you know, a lot of pressure on him now. To, well, actually not on him. You know, he did what he was supposed to do. The pressure's now on Lapo and the coaching yeah. staff. Like you've been given gifts from heaven here in this lineup it's up to you to get them to perform so I think you know I think they just let him do what he's supposed to do and get out of the way and let's see what this season brings as a result that's a good point I I saw a lot of uh chatter from Ottawa fans at least online last season that a lot of the way that especially the quarterback position was managed was on Paul Lapalise. He went yep. back uh, with Matt Nichols to his time in Winnipeg, and yep. now he's got a pretty good quarterback, uh, Caleb Evans. At least uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli has said it. This guy looks like he's the future in Ottawa, and the GM inherited the coach. A lot yep. of times they like to pick their own guys, so that does seem like quite a bit of pressure on Paul Lapalise. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think uh, I think that was another lesson that we learned last year is, yes, the coach has to be comfortable with who you're bringing in, especially at quarterback, such a key position. Um, But and, you know, we're saying this and and look what's happening to poor Nick Arbuckle. None of us really know what this kid's got in him because he's bouncing around the league left and right. But but that was definitely a hindsight, you know, is 2020 thing. And and to me, what really bothered me about the Matt Nichols thing wasn't so much that Paul Lapo wanted Matt Nichols. It was that they never tested his arm, Travis, before they brought him in. They never yeah. put him under a medical exam. They just, they went on what Lapo felt about, about his capability, which, you know, he's, he gets results. Um, I know he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't light it up out there. He's a game manager, but he, but they didn't test the guy's shoulder and he it, was coming off like an injury. He was, he was almost in a position to fail. He was. And so I feel really badly for him, frankly, like that's not no way to end your career in the CFL. um, But yeah, this time it was, you know, Burke knows Mazzoli very, very well. 
Um, I have to say I was a little surprised that the Ticats went with Evans and not with Mazzoli, but I'm not sad about it because I think yeah. <laughs> this is going to work itself out for us in a really yeah. good way. Yeah, I, uh, I I see the roster right now, and it seems like the only area where there is some continuity is special teams, other mm-hmm. than Devontae Deadman taking his shot in the NFL. Uh, are there... Is there any other members of that roster that have been there for the past few seasons that are going to be now in a position to really show what they can do because of the supporting cast that has been brought in? I I look at a guy like Ryan Davis, who he was getting so many targets last season. Mm -hmm. I think this year might be a big one for a guy like him even. I think so too. I think we're going to see a lot more out of Ryan Davis. I think RJ Harris, who has been around for a few seasons now, we'll start to see a lot more out of him as well. Um, and on defense, I'd say there are some really key guys who have stayed Sherrod Baltimore, Avery Williams. Uh, like these are stalwarts on the Ottawa defense, but the defense was just so tet. Like they were on the field for so damn long last year that they yeah. couldn't necessarily shine as much as. Um, and these, you know, Sherrod didn't play as much last year. He he had a few uh, few too many injuries that kept him off the field. But uh, but I expect that we'll see the consistency will be mostly on defense. Um, and this will be the challenge for the Red Blacks is to gel early enough because we've brought in so, you know, Darvin Adams, BJ Cunningham, Shaq Johnson, like just so many new people. That will be the trick. Uh, but I think, you know, you've got the Prunos who understand the culture in Ottawa. You've got Avery Williams, who's been here for a while. You've got Sherrod Baltimore, who moved to Ottawa, loves the city. You've got enough people who know what this team is all about that I think that's going to help the chemistry um, you know, even though I'm talking about, you know, mix and offense and defense here at the end yeah. of the day, they're all one team and one family. I think it's going to, I think those are the people I'll look to, to really help them gel. Great cups aren't one in February. They're, they're one in November. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring in a very veteran offensive line, but I think overall they've brought in some guys that know what it takes to succeed in the CFL. Uh, Mazzoli wasn't able to get a great cup, but after Evans got hurt in the game in December, he was close. He was so close. Yeah. Yeah. And he's hungry. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And he's hungry and he's been there and lost it twice now. And, you know, this is what happened to Henry Burris too, right? He lost it a couple of times before he, uh, before he won with, uh, with Ottawa again um, for his second great cup. So, you know, like, I want a hungry quarterback who knows what it's like to go all the way to the last game and lose because then they know exactly how much that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> Which well, is why I He's not going to have to wait long to be playing that those Winnipeg Blue Bombers. No. So I I I look at Ottawa they're probably able going to compete in the East already. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least a little bit better than last, or a lot better than last year. Look, but, they just have to win more than three games, yeah. Travis. That's all they have to do to be better than last year. That's not hard. <laughs> but two games to open the se- season yeah. against yeah. the back-to-back Grey Cup champions. That's that's one way to open a season. That's tough, and it's going to be a statement for them, right? What how they play and how they show up is really going to be a statement. And uh, it's going to be a really, you want to get that test out of the way early. Um, and it will be a big test. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that it's going to be easy at all. Um, but I'm looking forward to it because I do think Mazzoli playing against Winnipeg, his first two games, again, he's got something to prove and uh, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. I want to bring up one more off field thing, because when I read the story, it looked to me like Oseg just admitted that the north side sucked. <laughs> <laughs> which is my side. Which is my side. <laughs> so what's going to happen? The, the, yeah. There's this whole deal with Lansdowne 2.0. Are you going to have to be a south sider for a few seasons? Do you know how that's all going to oh, work? I think so. Yeah, so... Uh, in honest, in all honesty, Travis, we always knew this. Like when they yeah. when they got the stadium and when they when they brought the Red Blacks back, we always knew that at some point they rebuilt the South Side stands. They didn't rebuild the North Side stands uh, because of the timeline on which they were operating to get the team back. Um, and so we always knew this was coming. But yeah, it looks like I will uh, have to be. I will have to slum it on the South Side for a couple <laughs> seasons. It looks like. Um, but what I'm really kind of sad about is uh, it looks like they're gonna. I'm gonna lose. Is my cover, Travis. Like, remember the oh. great cup when you got snowed on? 
I was dry because I was undercover, but I'm going to lose that. They're going to take that away and make it a completely open air stadium, which, you know, it's the way football should be. Let's be honest, but still, I'm going to be a little bitter on a rainy day. (laughs) (laughs) Janine from the Mouchoir podcast. Thank you so much for coming back on the show under uh, strange circumstances. <laughs> We're recording this while you are eight days into, I don't even know, you can't call it a power outage anymore after the storm in Ottawa in mid-May, yeah. but thanks for making it work. <laughs> well, thanks for asking me, and it's, it's a very welcome distraction, and a great big thank you to all my friends and uh, surrogate family in Ottawa who are taking very good care of Craig and I and cooking for us and letting <laughs> us use their hot water, and yeah. it's been at times like these, you really, you really have a lot to be thankful for. And so that's what I'm trying to focus on. And this is one of the things I'm thankful for. So thank you, Travis. And joining the 2NL podcast today, uh, the author of Al's Turnative, a member of the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast is Cliffy D. Thanks so much for coming on to talk Alouette's football. Thanks for having me. All right. So the Owls enter 2022 coming off a 7-7 seven and seven season in 2021. I think 2019 they were 10-8. and eight. Uh, Vernon Adams Jr. leaves behind the number eight. He comes in with number three. Mm-hmm. But I feel like before the injury last season, he, and I don't think everybody around him, him, him did, but he put it on himself the entire success of the organization and the team on his shoulders. And I think he was feeling that a little bit. How do you see that going this season? I think you're right. I think uh, he felt the pressure was on him to perform. I think he wanted to prove that uh, 2019 was not a fluke. And he wanted to show that, listen, I belong in the conversation when it comes to like the top tier quarterbacks in the Canadian football league. And I think he may have put just a little bit too much pressure on himself because, yeah, when he was on, he was on. He was just on fire. But when he made mistakes, oh, boy, did he ever make mistakes. I mean, it, it happens. I mean, I, I think that's really what it came down to was he just put a lot of pressure on himself and it kind of spilled out on the field. Like, you could see it, too. You can see the frustration in him. Yeah. To the point, though, like a lot of people are just wondering just which Vernon Adams is going to show up on game day. Is it going to be the guy that made outstanding plays and got everybody excited in 2019? Or it's the guy that's kind of making like second guessing decisions or is just not, not clicking with his receivers or just not in control. And then of course he gets hurt just when it looked like he was about to finally turn a corner and start, you know, becoming the quarterback that we expected him to be. So I think this year there's a little bit of pressure now. Like I think the fact that he's got his number three back, I think that's, you know, it, it sounds silly to think that a Jersey number could make a difference, but I think it's a mental thing for him. And I think it's a matter of like, okay, I feel like I'm whole again. I feel like I'm, who I'm supposed to be. And I think that's going to translate onto the field. Just watching him in training camp, you see he's there. You've got the mechanics down. You've got everything. Like he is the leader of this team. Like it, there's no question about it. As far as I'm concerned, Vernon Adams is the quarterback of the Alouettes and he's going to be a reason why they're a success this year. Sometimes I, uh, well, I actually thought what the Owls did was pretty cool. I think fans that had number eight jerseys were able to exchange them and get number threes for free, right? They will be able to, Yes. That, that to me, that's a pretty good initiative that the Owls do. Because I know fans are nervous about buying jerseys in the CFL with movement and things like that. And then your favorite player changes his number. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, was it Greg Reed, who also plays the Alvets as the defensive back? He, in the time that he's been in the league, he's been in the league now about four seasons. He's gone through three different number changes. Oh, wow. So I... And again, it's one of those things like he's just not that big a compared to Vernon Adams. He's not popular enough to warrant the team to say, okay, right. you can buy 26 jersey, you can trade it for the number five, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's kind of the risk you run. But thankfully, I think they realize like, you know, this, like Vernon is very important to the city of Montreal. He loves playing in Montreal. He wants yeah. to be very much a part of the community. So I think the onus on the Alouettes to make this initiative happen. And apparently all the, jer- all the number eight jerseys are going to a good cause, which is great. Nice. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's win, win, win. So yeah, give him back his number three, let him feel whole again, take these jerseys, make the fans make, make sure they don't feel like they wasted their time and money in buying that number eight Jersey, give them the number three as well. 
And then if you take all these number eight jerseys and donate them to a good cause to be reused properly, I mean, I don't see any positive, I don't see any negatives here whatsoever. Like this is a great initiative and one that I'm glad that the team is taking on his behalf. Do you think part of the, the pressure that Vernon put on himself was the fact that maybe he felt that he should be more of your traditional quarterback? Cause I, I think he's at his best when he's, well, he can be, I think, one of the most exciting players in the CFL when he's improvising and he can make plays that I think eight other quarterbacks in the CFL wish they'd be able to make. And I think that's when he's at his best, not when he's, hanging in the pocket and playing like one of the greats, Ricky Ray, granted. But that's not, I don't think, who Vernon Adams is. No, and I don't, like I said, I hope he doesn't feel like he has to do that. Like, I'm sure there's going to come a time where eventually he's going to be expected to become more of a pocket passer. But right now, that's his strength. That's his bread and butter is the fact that he can slip out of any situation. And just when you think you've got him tackled, no, nope, yeah. he just manages to evade you and somehow manages to run for the first down like 10 yards away. No problem. He's got that. And then just keeps moving the chains. Like that's, that's just his style. That's what works best for him. And yeah, sometimes uh, a play like that is going to shorten your career a little bit, but I think for the moment right now, for the kind of quarterback that he is, that's the kind of style he has to stay with. Like you go with what works and that's what's worked best for him over the past couple of years. And I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think What's tough to forget too, or remember, is that he is—he doesn't turn thirty until January. He's still twenty-nine years old. I, I got to ask you: is, Do the Alouettes have the best quarterback situation in the CFL? I mean, I, I know your feelings on Trevor Harris. I know, but he has scored touchdowns in this league. He has—he hasn't won the big one. We know that, but. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty darn good insurance policy. Well, listen, I think what's helping now when it comes to Trevor Harris, like, yes, I've been critical of him because he was, you know, advertised as like the great white hope. And <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, numbers don't lie. He yeah, went yeah. one and four as a member of the Alouettes last season. You know, blame it on whatever you want. But at the end of the day, you talk about, I know, and I know quarterback wins are not a stat, but let's face it. One and four is very hard to ignore. That being said, though, the Alouettes released him in the offseason. They re-signed him at a much lower rate. So now it's a little bit more of a team-friendly deal that he signed. Right. I think his experience, though, does op- offer the opportunity for the Alouettes to help him learn and grow with Vernon Adams to help understand what kind of quarterback he is. Quite frankly, even though it's not really Trevor Harris's job to mentor Vernon Adams, and I don't think Vernon Adams actually needs a mentor, but I, I think the two of them working in tandem – I definitely think does provide a decent one-two punch for the Alouettes. And I think also too, I think Trevor Harris now, now that he's had a chance to be in camp and see how the system works and everything like that, he can adjust himself accordingly. And hopefully he's learning how to be an Alouette, learning how to work within this offense of Kahari Jones's and see how he's able to contribute. Like he had a good series last night against the, the Tiger Cats and you know he, he did what we expect him to do. Like that was the Trevor Harris that we were promised. Mm-hmm. Are we finally getting that Trevor Harris? I sincerely hope so because, yes, this is Vernon Adams' team, but if, God forbid, something bad happens to Adams and Trevor Harris has to step in, I expect him to come in and be that quarterback that we expect, that everybody has told, you know, pretty much said they has to be. I think the Owls have done a pretty good job of keeping some core playmakers together on offense. You've got Eugene Lewis, touchdown Jake. You've got William Stanback in the backfield. What are you expecting from this offensive group in 2022? Dominance, quite frankly, because I think the theme for the offseason was keeping the band together as far as you re-up VA, you re-up Gino, you re-up Winecki. Stanback, make sure that he's extended as well. Like, like keeping those core guys together. Like, and that, that's your offense right there is those guys. And being able to add to it by adding Herji Maiella, for example, mm-hmm. absolute masterstroke as far as I'm concerned. Watch, like just watching this guy in Calgary in 2019, played outstanding football, watching him in camp this season. He doesn't drop balls. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's extremely talented. And then a lot of the other offensive weapons that are in place that have been added, like, there is a wealth of riches as far as I'm concerned for the offense. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's no reason why this team can't rack up 
30 points a game easily, even in a losing effort, I fully expect them to still be able to score touchdowns, whether it's in the air or on the ground. Like this is a team I think that has the potential to be an offensive powerhouse in the league. Yeah. Sometimes I struggle with last year. Like, was that just, uh, we should just be happy that (laughs) there were games at all. There was so much distractions off the field. It it almost seems like a miracle that the season happened. No preseason, anything like that. Maybe the Alouettes, if we go back to 2019, they were one of the most, they maybe were the most exciting team in the league. Like the, the comebacks late in the season, they're putting up points. If that's the Owls we see in 2022, like fans in Montreal got to be excited. Exactly. Like they were the most fun team. Like they became must see TV as far as the yeah. CFL was concerned. I mean, you just didn't know what to expect. And even when you thought they were out, <laughs> they found a way to scratch, <laughs> claw their way back. And sometimes they did the damn thing and won the game. I mean, yeah. <laughs> losing effort when you could be entertaining, like walking away, feel like, okay, I got my money's worth. Like that was a fun football game to watch. That's what this team is, and that's what it should be. And we got we saw some of that last year, like especially the start, the first half of the season. Yeah, the Alouettes were still win or lose a part of that, even though Vernon Adams was struggling with some stuff. Yeah, when he was on, he was on, and like this team, like offensively, defensively, everything was clicking, and it just makes for fun football. Like just you wanted to tune in, you want to see, oh my god, are the Alouettes going to be able to do this? Like they're down twenty points, so what? They're going to yeah. come back. You had that feeling. You at least had that notion that, okay, they're not in control, but they'll figure it out. And sure enough, it's like they flip a switch and boom, they start scoring touchdowns. They make the comeback. They win the game. Like that's just that sort of fun, exciting football that we're desperate to see. And we got a little bit of that last year. I felt like once Vernon got hurt, though, that kind of you know took the wind out of their sails a little bit. And then they had to adjust. Like They thought they could maybe do it with Matthew Schultz. And then he got hurt as well. Yeah. And Trevor Harris, and it still kind of felt like a square peg in a round hole. Like it just didn't quite click the way we expected it to. Like we were wanting to see those Alouettes again, and we just didn't see it towards the tail end of last season. So now I'm hoping that with Vernon back and healthy, with a lot of the core guys back, with Trevor Harris now having a a chance to sort of see what he's got as being a member of this team, and can he adjust and become a part of that? Like to me, that's what's going to make this an interesting season for the Alouettes this year. It's I don't want to say do or die for the Alouettes. I think it's a matter of they're still evolving. They're still becoming that team. They have to be. But I do fully expect them to be in the mix this year. Let's uh, switch to the other side of the ball. I I know that they've brought in some talent as well, but it seems on defense maybe there there were some losses. What are you expecting from the defense, or are there some new names that are have been turning heads during the preseason? Well, yeah, defense was definitely a concern because, yeah, you lost some really key pieces, but being able to restock the war chest was definitely important, especially with the draft. Like the move to go get Tyrell Richards, incredible. Absolutely incredible. I, 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 I saw a lot. The draft itself, I thought Danny Machocha hit a home run with the moves that he made. And he didn't just go out and get only Quebec-born players. Like he actually found players that played elsewhere in this, like whether it's in U Sports, yeah, NCAA, yeah, they don't have to be Quebec born. Like, he kind of shot down that narrative right away. Like, the fact that he was able to make that move in order to get that first overall pick and then making another move to basically get two first round picks after it, what, four years of not having any first round picks at all. Wow, I mean, that was incredible. <laughs> and what was the first thing he did? He made sure to make sure the defense was taken care of, like, the secondary. I think that these are some good, are going to take some time to gel, but I think are going to be a problem for a lot of offenses. The linebacking core, I think got strengthened as well nationally and otherwise. And this defensive line, which has always been priority number one for Danny Machocha. I really like what I see with Amando Sewell and Nick Usher kind of bookending things. Antonio Simmons back in the mix, who was a part of the Trevor Harris deal, believe it or not, last year. That's 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 a funny thing that you probably only see in the CFL. Oh my gosh! Like I was laughing when I saw this. Like, oh geez! Like as far as I'm concerned, Danny Machocha is playing chess, and everybody else is playing checkers. That's what it looks like. What a masterstroke! So I mean, like I, I told them, like I, my hats off to you. Like like the draft was fantastic, but then to make a move like this, like just sensational, like. To me, that, that's what kind of puts my mind at ease and say, okay, you know what? This Alouettes team, they've got the horses. They, they can be competitive in this, in this yeah. league. Not just in the Eastern Division, but I'm going to say league-wide. Like, 
I hope people are sleeping on the Alouettes because I think, honestly, if this all comes together like I expect it to, this is definitely going to be not just a fun team to watch, but a very competitive and dangerous team that can compete this year. Like, as far as I'm concerned, they have to get past that hump of, yeah, you make it to the playoffs, but you got to get past the Eastern semifinal. You got to at least get to the Eastern final. Like, to me, like, that's got to be the goal this year is to go beyond the first round of the playoffs. And I think this Alouettes team, as it sits right now, has a chance to make some noise and really be dangerous this year. Yeah, the, I think uh, there's always chatter about the Western Division being, you know, a tight battle. But that East this year, I almost feel like there are four teams that could host the Eastern Final. And M- Montreal and Han, well, <laughs> you can't forget about Toronto. I, I think almost everybody's in the mix <laughs> to host that game. Yeah, I mean, Ottawa's made a ton yeah. of, like, a lot of wholesale changes. Toronto is always going to be competitive. Hamilton, they, every, like kind of like Calgary, you start doubting them and mm-hmm. they just find the win. And they get Montreal doing what they do as well. I mean, I honestly would not be surprised to see the East cross over to the West. <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility as far as I'm concerned. Like you look at those, like all four of those teams and they all have the potential to be competitive for sure. Yeah. Where like, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see like how all four of those teams in the East do because like, do not be surprised if it, if it actually does happen. Like, one team actually does have to go west. That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Final question. In, in what area do you see the Alouettes uh, looking different in 2022 or maybe surprising uh, people going into this season? I think special teams, which is something I think they had to work on and be better at, is something that is going to really surprise a lot of people pleasantly. Because Jeff Reinbolt was actually supposed to come and become yeah. the uh, special teams coach for the Alouettes, but instead uh, isn't. And now Byron Archambault, who has actually done a very good job put, uh, with special teams uh, when he was with the Montreal Caribbean. And from what we've seen, we've seen a lot of emphasis on special teams in camp so far because there's some new rules. And he wants to make sure that everybody's on the same page with him. Like we, we watched him work exclusively with certain players just to sort of educate them and make them understand like, okay, you got to respect that five yard halo. You got to respect, you, know, you got to yeah. all, all the little nuances that you'd see when it comes to special teams in the Canadian football league. I was worried, you know, is this guy going to be up to speed or not? And not only is he up to speed, like I think he's really helping these guys advance. Like by the time they end up in Calgary for the first game, I think they'll be more than ready. So I think special teams is something that's going to be a pleasant surprise for a lot of fans because it's been an Achilles heel for a lot of years. And I thought, okay, with Reinbold coming in, Oh, we got this. Because look what he's done yeah. with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And then lo and behold, no Jeff Reinbold this year. Okay. So now what? <laughs> Byron Archambault? Okay. What can he do? And sure enough, you you take a look at what he's done with every training camp session with the amount of time they spend on special teams. Oh, okay. Like uh, like now I, I feel confident. Like, yeah, this team's going to be ready. Will they be successful? Only time's going to tell. But you know what? they will be prepared. And that's all you can really ask for is making sure that your team is prepared on every facet of the football, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams. You want to know that your coaching staff has gotten your players ready for the for game day. And I think that the Alouettes, by and large, are going to be able to do that this year. The Montreal Alouettes start their season with three consecutive Thursday games in Calgary, in Toronto, and home to Saskatchewan. That's a, that's a pretty... Uh, Pretty tight start to the schedule for the Alouettes. Cliffy D is the author of the Al's Turnative. He's a member of the Alouettes Flight Deck Podcast, a member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk Al's with me today. Thank you so much. And joining the show to talk Hamilton Tiger Cats football is Josh Smith of 3downnation.com and Podski Wee Wee. Josh, it was looking dicey for a little bit, but we got football. We got a full season. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're happy to have it back. I don't think I could adequately, I don't think there's a word in the English language that would adequately describe how excited I am that this is all this CBA stuff is behind us. Well, in the full season, it almost feels like life's normal again. (laughs) That's exactly, honestly, that's, that's the point. You know what? I've been talking to other fans and like, that was sort of the thing when, when they, that first initial 
offer that was like, oh, the PA's accepted it, like the bargaining committee. It's like, yeah. okay, so we're going to get a preseason. We have camp where fans can attend. Like, this feels like we're back to normal. And then all of a sudden, you, you get that notice. I think it was, what, uh, a few Mondays ago? Whatever, whatever it was. It was a couple days later, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. We're going back to this again. But cooler heads prevailed. Everyone, you know, didn't, no one lost their minds. And we got football back. We had preseason games. You know, everything's, everything's good. Everything's good in the world right now. The Ticats come into 2022 after two consecutive Grey Cup losses to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. What's the feeling going into this year? They're still trying to end that longest Grey Cup drought in the league. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm still optimistic that they can get it done. They they did lose some veteran players. You lose a guy like Jeremiah Mazzoli. They let Brandon Banks go, but they're older guys. They have guys in there to replace them. Uh, Dane Evans obviously has shown in this league that he can start. Uh, I think in what I've seen of him, uh, both in the preseason and at training camp practices that I've attended, he looks as sharp as ever. He looks like he's ready to go. And while losing a player of Banks' caliber, you start to worry, former MOP. There are – how many times have we seen in this league guys who we didn't know six weeks ago, six months ago, yeah. all of a sudden it's like they're third in the league in receiving yards? The Ticats have a couple of guys that they – because of injuries last year, especially the Banks – we saw guys like Tim White and Stephen Dunbar step up. They now have another year under their belt. And for your listeners, I think Stephen Dunbar, not Stephen Dunbar, I think Stephen Dunbar is going to have a good year. Tim White, to me, though, is the guy that I think could have a massive season this year, playing a lot of slot back. Uh, if he's healthy for a full season, I don't see why he couldn't finish top five, top three in receiving yards in 2022. That's uh... – Almost a blessing in disguise for the Ticats that these guys were able to get some experience under their belt and get onto the field. Uh, I'm a fan of Tim White, and I I think if he's going to be on the field more and have a bigger opportunity, uh, of course he's going to have a a nice season. The Ticats always seem to have this knack to have a pipeline of receivers, don't they? Yeah, it's one of the good things about being a fan of the team is that you never really worry about them losing a star receiver. We've seen over the last half dozen years, Andy Fantuz retires, Luke Tasker retires, Brandon Banks is gone. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's, oh, well, that, don't worry. We have Braylon Addison to fill in and he comes out of nowhere and is an all-star receiver. And now as I mentioned, guys like Tim White, who had a, I think he finished sixth or fifth in the league last year in receiving years. I know it was a truncated season, but still that's, that's impressive for a first year player. But you got a guy like that. You got a guy like Stephen Dunbar, who came in his first game, had a whale of the game against Montreal Alouettes a season ago. And then there's always this I, I've seen some guys, uh, under the radar guys, like a player like Anthony Johnson, who spent time in the NFL. He started for the Ticats in their first preseason game. That's a guy that maybe we can keep an eye on. Uh, it's like you said, there's just a pipeline of receivers. It seems like anytime they lose someone, they just plug someone in and they don't miss a beat. Braylon Addison has encountered some health issues over the past few years. Is he still the guy as long as he's healthy? From what I've seen, yeah. yeah. He he looks the, – the chemistry with him and Dane Evans is there. What I've seen of him in practice – what how I've described it is Braylon Addison is Braylon Addison. He's exactly what you expect. It looks like the injuries are behind him. Nice. Of course, we never know. Injuries happen in the games, right? Like how many times have we seen star players look like a million bucks and four weeks in the season, they get a knee injury and we don't see him again. But if he stays healthy, I don't see any sort of hindrance in his game whatsoever. With Jeremiah Mazzoli off to Ottawa, Dane Evans, the undisputed guy going into camp. That's a bit of a different situation over the last little while for the Ticats. It always seemed like you want two good quarterbacks, but you don't want them to be both too good because then uh, <laughs> you got to argue and you got to make this decision as to who is the man leading the team. Is there a different feeling knowing that Dane Evans is the undisputed guy now? Yeah, absolutely. I remember the first day of training camp, it felt weird with Mazzoli not there. And then mm-hmm. Stephen Dunbar took that number eight and you saw it come on the field and you're just like, oh, that looks that looks wow. weird because there was a guy here who played eight years here that wore that number. And now someone else is rocking it. It really is a new era. But from what I've seen and, and because of I don't know how many training camp practices you've been able to attend over the years, but you're so close to the field at McMaster. You can hear the guys talking and Dane is constantly when a, when they're running, whether it's one-on-ones or whether they're running just the offense or whether it's a full 12 on 12, he's there teaching guys and showing guys where to go. Like he has full control of this team in a way that I probably haven't seen from a quarterback. Mazzoli had that, but he was a more quiet leader. 
Mm. Uh, Zach Caleros was the guy, like, when he was the entrenched starter, you could see sort of the same same telltale signs. Henry Burris the same way. But it's, it's been a while. It just feels like this is unequivocally his team. And I think because of that, expect big things from him this year. You mentioned the departure of uh, Ja'Garrett Davis, but when I look at that defense and when I look at that defensive line, I, I think it's still Grey Cup caliber defense going on. Like how, I don't know, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around Ted Laurent being a rotational or a backup guy. Crazy, eh? Yeah. But when you have Dylan Wynn and you have Micah Johnson and you have Ted Laurent, it's like, what a good problem to have. Eh? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the Davis loss that I can't underscore how that does hurt because he is so good. He's maybe the best pass rusher in the league outside of Willie Jefferson. And not only did he leave, but he left to go to Toronto, which is like a double knife to the chest. Yeah. Like maybe one in the chest and one in the back at the same time. And the Argos were pretty competitive last year and they basically swapped out Charleston Hughes, who wasn't great with the Argos last year for Jagir Davis. That's, in my opinion, an upgrade. No offense to Charleston Hughes. So losing him and then losing him to the Argos hurts. I don't there, – there will obviously be a decrease in, in the production of whoever replaces him. Right now it looks like it's Mason Bennett, the Canadian who they took in the first round in 2020. But, of course, that's fluid. That can always change. But you – there's still going to be, even if Bennett or whomever takes that position ends up being really good, there still is going to be a drop-off. But the other aspects of the line, Laurent coming in, Johnson, Wynn, and then Julian Hauser on the other side, I don't think there's a ton to worry about when it comes to the Ticats pass rush. But like I said, there's still going to, there's going to be a little drop-off because there only has to be when you lose a player of the caliber of Jagarrett Davis. I, I thought it was phenomenal that the Cats were able to have those three guys on their roster. <laughs> oh, when when they signed Micah Johnson, I literally sent out a tweet that this ends Ted Laurent's tenure with the Thai Cats, and then like three days later he resigned, and I was like, I don't understand this at all. Not and not in a bad way. It's just like I'm really shocked that he would because there's got to be a team out there that would have paid him starters money. Yeah. Montreal, Toronto, like how many teams could use a Ted Laurent and he's going to be a rotational player, which is good because I think those guys, you know, you've watched enough football. Those, those interior defensive linemen get the tar beat out of them. So to have three all-star caliber guys that can rotate in and out will help. But it, to me, it was, it was maybe the most surprising thing of the off season of, of an off season that was very surprising was Laurent coming back to Hamilton. I thought he was, as soon as Johnson inked that deal, I thought that's it. It, you know, it was fun while he was here, but he's going to go somewhere else. And then when he came back, it, it absolutely blew my mind. Is Micah Johnson the biggest addition in the off season? I see, I, th- I see Matthew Schiltz. They're able to keep the running backs. I, I was actually surprised about that too. Uh, I was wondering if they were going to stay American or go Canadian. What's the situation at the, that position? Uh, I, I do to answer your first question. I do think the Micah Johnson yeah. uh, addition is the biggest one. Alden Darby is another big one, but Micah Johnson is such a beast. As a as an interior, like you know, well, as a Ryder fan, you you watched him play. He's absolutely. He, he might not show up on the stat sheets. Yeah, you can't measure it a lot of the time. Yeah, like he might have two or three sacks, but the amount of times that he's taken double teams yeah. and he's freeing up freeing up things for the linebackers to make their plays, or a guy like Dylan Wynn or whatever his battery mate has been over the years in Calgary and Saskatchewan, those guys to make plays, freeing up things for the defensive end. Like I, I remember when he le- he had something like eleven or twelve sacks his last year in Calgary, and then he went yeah. to Regina, and people were like, "Oh, he only had two or three. But it, like you said, it's not the, the stat sheet doesn't show his impact on the game. And he's very similar to Ted Laurent. Like there's years where Ted Laurent has nine sacks. There's years where Ted Laurent has three. And those three sack seasons might've been better than he was in the nine sack season. Yeah, so yeah. you can't, you can't really judge those types of guys by what the, the stats at the end of the season say. As for the running backs, I too was kind of surprised when they, when they re-signed Don Jackson, it felt to me like, okay, this is going to be an American position. Sean Thomas Erlington had shown prior to that knee injury in 2019 yeah. that he was he was a guy that could be a featured back. Had a bit of a down year, not didn't get as much playing time in 2021 as I thought he would, but maybe he he's going to be used in the passing game a little bit more. And the Ticats do have a number of quality starting Canadians. So having a guy like that in the background, even with the Malik Irons as well, I can see where they'll, you know, shuffle ratio, maybe want to bring on an American receiver or another American, uh, like a bigger offensive line, then you have to throw in a, a Canadian running back. Uh, but I did, I too thought once Jackson was signed, I was like, okay, a guy like Sean Thomas Erlinson is probably going to get looks 
somewhere else. I mean, no offense to Andrew Harris, but if Andrew Harris is getting paid starter money after a pretty down year in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. Sean Thomas Erlington couldn't have been. I now I can say he's an upgrade to Andrew Harris because Andrew Harris going Hall of Fame, but at this point in their careers, I think I'd rather have Sean Thomas Erlington as for the money and because of the youth. What does, does the team have any question marks going into the season? Anything that worries you about uh, maybe a certain positional group or any area of their game? Well, the left tackle position is always an area of concern when you don't have a Stanley Bryant there or yeah. Derek Dennis there. They've rotated through left tackles for what seems like forever, quite honestly. So that's always a concern. Uh, the kicking game as well, I think, is a bit of a concern. They don't have really an established kicker or punter on the roster. They they did bring back Michael Domagala, uh, who wasn't great last year in, in, a, in some brief opportunities he had. They brought in some competition for him that honestly haven't wowed me from what I've seen. And sure, maybe the kicking game's not the sexiest position to talk about, but I mean, if the Winnipeg Blue Bombers don't have Sergio Castillo last year, we're talking yeah. about the, the Grey Cup champion Hamilton Tiger Cats, not the two-time champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Well, I'm uh, looking at the – well, actually, the whole East Division looks oh, like – it, it's all the, the, the West always gets the discussion, and maybe that's where I'm located as well, that uh, the chatter is about the Western Division. But the East this year uh, – it looks like there are at least three teams, maybe even four, you can throw into the mix that could host the Eastern final. That's what scares me about the – it's not so much what the Ticats have or haven't done or how good they'll be. It's how good the rest of the division could be. Yeah. Ottawa made so many changes. I think Ottawa is a dark horse team to actually get to the Grey Cup, if I'm being honest with you. With, with that coaching staff, we know how good of a coach Paul Eppley's can be when he has the horses to run. You finally have an established quarterback who can be up and down, but is more up than down. They bring in receivers that he's familiar with. Like they have a general manager in Sean Burke, who I think the absolute world of, like he's going to turn that team around come hell or high water. You look at the Argos, they hosted the East final last year. I don't think my, my issue with the Argos is they tend, they got a little older and Mm -hmm. you bring in Andrew Harris, you bring in Brandon Banks, those are great players. Those are guys who are going to have busts at Tim Hortons Field in the Hall of Fame one day. But are they a little long in the tooth? And then you have the Owls, who they're a bit like they were a playoff team last year. They have Vernon Adams. They have Trevor Harris. You don't know. It could, could they have a, a problem at quarterback? Is it going to be a situation where Adams starts, but he has one bad half, and all of a sudden the fans are screaming for Harris? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that. Like, like you mentioned with, with Evans and Mazzoli, it's yeah. it's good to have that problem, but it's it's a it's still a problem. Like a, a good problem to have is still a problem at the end yeah. of the day. But the East, for the first time, I think because if you look at the quarterback position, you look at the West. Bo is at the top of the table, but is he is he is he healthy? Caleros, as good as he's been the last two years, there's always the concern of can he play a full season? Fajardo, the the great in 2019, so-so in 2021, so the jury's still kind of out on him. And then you look at Edmonton, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be, and BC lost Michael Riley. So I think the reason we look at the East as maybe, I won't say better than the West, but at least at this point in the season, maybe a little more dangerous than the West for the first time in probably two decades, is the quarterback position, the established quarterbacks. Evans, Mazzoli, Adams, Harris, even McLeod, Bethel Thompson. I think the better quarterbacks overall are in the East. I think that's why we might be seeing a potential for a crossover, or like you said, any of these teams potentially hosting that East final. One of the fascinating things, last thing about that Ticat schedule, they don't play inside their division until week six. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Which, which is, it, could, it could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. You yeah. get all of those, because those, those division games – Count as two games essentially. It's a win for you, yeah. a loss for them. So if you if you get that out of the way with when you're playing, so those losses, if let's say you lose to a Calgary or you lose to a Saskatchewan, it's it hurts because every game matters, but it doesn't hurt yeah. as much as if you would have lost those early season games. And I would rather have a backloaded divisional schedule simply because those first few weeks, you're still kind of ironing out the kinks, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you blow a game like they start the season in Saskatchewan, always a tough place for them to play. Off the top of my head, I don't think they've won in Regina in almost a decade, if I'm not wow. mistaken. Unless they unless they beat them that that one year, what was that like 2015, 2016, when they were just 
the Riders were just truly awful. Yeah. I can't remember if they won in Saskatchewan that year, but the one that I do know they won was was in 2012. Burris went in there and had a will of the game mm-hmm. uh, when Cortez was the coach in 2012. So I know they won that one. Maybe they won another one, but it's been a, they don't win in Regina very often. So if you get that game first, maybe you you're still kind of working guys into the lineup. Some guys get dinged up in camp. You don't have your full complement of players. Losing the game there doesn't, I don't think, hurt you as much as if that game would have been in October and you're a game back of Montreal or a game back of Ottawa for second place or whatever, and seeding is really important, and then you drop a game like that, whereas Ottawa then gets BC, and you know what I mean? Like, So give yeah. me the give me the West, the, the Ticats versus the West early, and give me those though that the end of the season. Give me those division opponents. Also, because as a fan of just the game in general, those games mean more. You have a divisional opponent where it's like there's one game separating these two teams, and they're playing the second last week of the year, and this could be what decides playoff positioning. That's when you the juices really get flowing. That's when you that's when the fun really happens. Yeah, they've got those four weeks, four games in five weeks with the Argos that I'll be uh, paying attention yeah. to in August and September. By the end of that, it's the Labor Day games, the last <laughs> one. It's not going to be. Gonna, there's going to be fistfights. There's going to be like Labor Day is amped up to begin with. Yeah. But there's straight up going to, there's going to be ejections and fistfights now <laughs> after playing each other four times in five weeks. Get out of here. I can't wait for that. Josh Smith of 3downnation.com and Podski Wee Wee's got the Ty Cats in 10 podcast on the same feed of Podski Wee Wee. So if you want to talk Ty Cats, hit up Josh. Josh, thanks for talking Ty Cats on Two and Out. Always fun to be on, Trav. You and I get to talk football again. It, it makes me feel whole, makes me feel normal again. It feels like we're back to where life was a few years ago. And joining the show now to talk the Toronto Argonauts, Sean Bowen, the digital and in-stadium host with the Argos. Thanks for coming on to talk about the Double Blue, Sean. Anytime, guys. Appreciate you having me. And, uh, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to this upcoming season. Should uh, As the players have been saying at training camp, it should be a movie is what, uh, what the mantra is of the, uh, of the 2022 uh, Toronto Argonauts. So looking forward to it. I like that. Across the room, I'm looking at uh, the the photography book done on the 2017 Argos. And man, uh, yeah, that is like a picture movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the Argos do this year. Um, They were first place in the East last year. We need to talk McLeod Bethel Thompson. He's it feels like he's had to fight for a spot every year in Mm -hmm. Toronto. But now... He seems like the undisputed guy. What have you seen from him as the season gets underway? It, it's a great question. Um, you know, and, and, and Mac is entering his fifth year in the CFL and, and, you know, technically his, I guess, second or third year as a starter in uh, in the Canadian Football League and, and, and with the Toronto Argos. And, you know, obviously last year, um, you know, with having Nick Arbuckle coming in, you kind of sense that it was – Nick's job to lose at the beginning of training camp this year, yeah. as you mentioned, it's Matt's job to lose. And and from going up to camp a handful of days uh, throughout the last two weeks, I mean he he really seems to have taken that next step in becoming a leader. And I think the guys are really rallying behind him. Um, and I think that quarterback room which they have there with him and Chad Kelly is going to be interesting throughout the course of the year. I'm interested to see how they use. Uh, you know, swag Kelly throughout the course of the year, whether or not if he kind of replaces Antonio Pipkin and and being that goal line quarterback and and you know being the bigger body that he is. But I'll tell you, man, I, I'm excited to see what Matt can do. I don't think he gets enough love uh, in the Canadian Football League for being uh, you know a true undisputed number one quarterback. Um, and I think last year in the East Final, if, if he had to you know do it over, I'm pretty sure that would be his one game that he said that yeah, that was on me. He didn't perform well enough and didn't perform up to his standards, but um, you know, there's a hunger, there's a desire amongst this group. And and I really think that starts with number four quarterback. And um, you know, I think they're really going to go as far as, uh, as he can take them. We'll talk about Andrew Harrison, Brandon Banks joining uh, McLeod on the offense. They seem like two guys that could be coming into this season with chips on their shoulders and something to prove as well. Oh, no kidding. I mean, Andrew Harris has, you know, arguably been one of the best running backs in the Canadian Football League for, you know, the last handful of years. And 
Um, you know, like Mac, I think there's a bit of a chip on his shoulder, the way it kind of worked out last year in Winnipeg with, uh, with Brady Oliveira taking over the spot and, um, and the injuries that, uh, you know, that Harris kind of sustained throughout the last few years. But, um, you know, a new change of scenery, a new city can do wonders for, you know, a lot of pro athletes. And I think one guy that that's really um, been true to form is with Speedy B. He has looked electric at training camp. Wow. Um, and and even Coach Dinwiddie commented, you know, he didn't know how good he was. Um, and just the fact that he's been able to pick up the offense so quickly. And I will tell you, you know, I, I've, I've attended a lot of football games in my career. I've, I've watched a lot of Argos games as well. And this is no knock on Speedy B, but this is more so a compliment. But when you look at him in person, you are astounded that he plays football. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it 100%. Is, it, it's, it, honestly, I mean, it, you know, it, seeing the Argos play in, in Hamilton, I mean, you're kind of focusing on our team and what's going on. So uh, you don't really kind of get the gist of it. But, man, oh, man, like, it, he doesn't look like a football player. But, I mean, he takes his licks and he gets right back up and – I'll tell you, that is the one guy that I am extremely excited to see how he does this year. And when we've got that stretch in August where we play the uh, Tiger Cats, I think, four times in six weeks, I am really excited to see uh, that young man uh, kind of maybe stick it to uh, the folks uh, 45 minutes uh, so, nor- or northeast or whatever it is south of us. I'm not a... I'm not a mathematician there, so. Hey, I was going to ask you, do you have uh, any stretches circled on your calendar? Because four games with the Cats in yeah. a stretch of five weeks and ending on Labor Day, that is, that's incredible. And I think fans across the country <laughs> are going to be entertained. Oh, and, and you know what? I mean, and, and Hoagie and I were, were talking about this today. Um, you know, especially in the city of Toronto. It's, I mean, if you look at the Toronto Blue Jays, I don't think they have like a clear cut rival. Um, right. You know, same same thing with the Toronto Raptors. I don't know if there's you know a team in the NBA that is you know 100% their rival. The Maple Leafs, uh, yeah, you can say the Habs, uh, you know, the Boston Bruins, but for the Argos, it always has been and always will be Hamilton, and and that rivalry runs thick, and they don't like us, and we certainly don't like them. Um, and I think what's going to be really fun to see is essentially that could be the season right there. You know, I mean, that's four important games against a team that you're going to be battling the whole entire year for playoff positioning in the standings. Um, really excited to see how that shapes up. I mean, uh, throughout work, we're trying to uh, do some kind of behind the scenes documentary shows this year um, for the Argos to kind of follow the guys around. So we've been doing our training camp and that's uh, one of the episodes that we kind of came up with at the beginning of the year is uh is that whole entire uh, four games in a month and have it kind of release out on Labor Day of, uh, you know, just just the rivalry of, of how much, you know, the black and black and gold versus the double blue hate each other. And it even stems from the fans because I remember the first game that I was there, um, I had uh, some Hamiltonians, is that what they're called, uh, say some choice words to me as I was on the field. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, wow. I'm, just the, I'm just the social guy. And this guy just told me to, this guy just told me to do something to my mother that I would never want to do in the entire world. But I was like, well, here it is. I'm thrown to, I'm thrown into the wolves. So yeah, screw these guys. Let's get going. <laughs> Personal instantly, instantly. Oh, That's yeah. what it is. Hamilton oh, and yeah. Toronto. Uh, there have been other teams in the league that have also been doing some sort of behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, and it's been great. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys are coming up with here. Is there anything else that you can let me know that Argo fans have to be excited about I, this year? I, I, we, we've got some stuff cooking up. I can't, uh, yeah, you yeah, know. It's, I get that. <laughs> you got to just tease it, but, I mean, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're certainly excited for the season. Um, we got a lot of cool stuff kind of coming out throughout the course of the year. Uh, unfortunately, I will be stuck with Hoagie again throughout the course of the summer. Um, you know, so he becomes my best friend automatically throughout the from you know June until pretty much hopefully at the Great Cup. Uh, but yeah, we've got some stuff cooking up. We're excited. Uh, a couple of guys that I work with, so we're uh, all attached to the hip. We've been up to training camp for the last few days, kind of getting some behind the scenes stuff and cool. uh, and interviewing some of the players and, and getting their thoughts uh, on the upcoming season. And yeah, it should be fun. I'd like to see uh, what you, you have to say about Daniel Adababoye, who I know Andrew Harris is there, but we know he'll be, well, we, we'll see how long he can go. He'll be hanging up the cleats eventually. Yeah, it's, it's really going to be interesting. I mean, it, it, especially with him, the wide receivers too, 
because there's going to be a lot of guys, um, you know, that are going to be looking for jobs elsewhere. Um, and I mean, even AJ Willette, I mean, in, in my opinion, he's impressed me uh, a heck of a lot. I mean, he just a very low maintenance guy battling for that spot. And, you know, obviously with the Canadian players and, and, you know, the American players and national players, it's, yeah. it's difficult, right. To make those decisions. And, um, but I mean, obviously it's going to be Andrew Harris's job to lose. And, uh, and we spoke with pinball and, um, you know, earlier this week and he was saying the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the one aspect of the job that you hate yeah. the most where you've got to, you know, bring in a guy who's pretty much done everything that you've asked him to do. Um, but unfortunately it's, you know, it's that's sports and it's, yeah. uh, it's, it, it sucks, right? I mean, a lot of great guys in the organization, a lot of guys that we get along with, uh, along with as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's difficult in those situations where, you know, you have to say goodbye and, and yeah. move on, but you wish them the best, right? What about the defense? I, <laughs> uh, it's the first time that, uh, Corey Mace is going to be a DC in Toronto, but yeah. I, I look at some of the, even just the additions alone, Deshaun Amos, Jagarid Davis, Royce Mechie, Winton McManus, but then that, that's not even mentioning who's already there. Sean Oakman, Henoch Moamba. <laughs> That looks like a crazy group. They are so close with each other, and that's what I think makes them so formidable in the Canadian football league. I mean, it is truly a brotherhood, and it really does start with number ten. Um, you know, he is the leader within that defensive within that defensive group. Uh, we actually got our, our ticket. We actually got to see uh, you know JG for the first time this week as well. I mean, mm-hmm. he had to go back home to uh, deal with some personal issues. But man, oh man, dude, that guy made a spin move at practice. We were just like, oh, it could be a long season for the opposing quarterbacks. And 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 I'm such a big Sean Oakman fan as well. Um, you know, when he came in last year, you know, obviously everyone kind of remembers that meme of him, you know, where he's just, you know, jacked out of yeah. his mind wearing that Baylor <laughs> helmet. Um, but I think he adapted to the Canadian rules, you know, instantly like that and really put the CFL on notice. And, you know, I think – coming into his second year with a year under his belt, I think he's going to just be feasting on quarterbacks. Another guy that I'm really interested to kind of see how it plays out is Shane Ray as well. Uh, you know, yeah. brought back this year, he battled injuries, you know, pretty much all of last year and just couldn't stay healthy and couldn't really find that grasp. Um, excited that, you know, he's been brought back here into camp, but yeah, I mean, our defense last year was our bread and butter. Um, and I don't, uh, I don't expect much to change. I mean, these guys have, have really put on a clinic at training camp and, have really made life difficult on our offense. Um, and to be honest with you, it's, you know, the old saying, right? It's it's offense wins games and, and defense wins championships. And and I, I really do think that's, uh, the, you know, the mindset of this team this year as well. It's, I mean, their defense is going to be here to play, and, and I think they're going to be ready to go. I finally want to ask you about Ryan Dinwiddie entering his second season as head coach. And I noticed at times last season, he was hard on himself even. Like he, yeah. it seems like he likes to keep himself uh, accountable. How has his approach been this off season? You, you know, it's funny. We, we, uh, we spoke with him today um, and, and Din's such a great guy and, and he's such a great football mind and, and really does love the game and, um, you know, you could chat X's and O's with him, you know, for hours. Um, and I was just, I kind of asked him, I said, is there a little bit more pressure on, you know, last year? It's, I mean, it, technically, I guess it's his third year in the, you know, as a head coach, we had, the, yeah. you know, the pandemic season, but, you know, his second with, you know, truly being behind the bench. And, you know, I asked him, is there a little bit more pressure going into this year than it was last year? Because, I mean, I think at the beginning of the year, we kind of set, you know, expectations fairly moderate, right? It was, you know, grow with the group. It's, you know, Rome's not going to be built in the day, but you end up going six and one at home and, and you, you know, you win the East and unfortunately come up short in the East final. But, you know, he was saying, no, it's business as usual. And, and I, he's locked in and ready to go. And, and, you know, the players enjoy playing for him too. Um, you know, their whole big model throughout training camp is, you know, 2% better every day. And it's, I want the most from you and you're going to give it to me. And, and the players have really bought into that. Um, and, and even just kind of talking with about the systems this year, and, and they're all really excited. And, and I, I liked Dinwiddie because, you know, he's a young mind. He's, you know, he's played the game. He's been in those situations. He's been cut. Uh, you know, he's lost a job. He's lost a starting job and, you know, becomes a coach and goes to Calgary and does his quarterback things and comes over here and takes over here. And I think the guys really bought into him last year. Um, you know, he's, he comes in with a fresh attitude and a new approach. And, 
you know, I think we're kind of seeing that across the board, maybe not so much in the, in the Canadian football league, but obviously down South in the NFL where it's, you know, hiring these younger guys who might have a, yeah. a different viewpoint at it where it's, you know, not the old X's and O's, but we're going to bring something in and do something new. So uh, it, it is nice to see. And, and I, I'm excited for Ryan this, uh, this season, because, you know, I think he's got a great group, a lot of returning players as well. Guys who bought in guys who know the systems, guys who know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly excited for him. This uh, this season is fascinating. Uh, opening up at home against the Montreal Alouettes, and then traveling. And we got to start on a buy too, and it's oh yeah, that's true. You know, that's the worst part. <laughs> you just want to you just want to start playing, right? Like yeah, we, we played we the played them one by. I know it's there. I honestly, I don't think there's anything worse because you're just like <laughs> you've waited this long. And, you know, it's been a long winter, the snow and the cold and everything. And all of a sudden we get back and there's a bit of a labor dispute. And, okay, now we're playing again. Then we get into a preseason game. And then we got to start the season on a bye. It's like, no, let's just go already. Come on. And and that East division, look. It's uh, going to be fun this year. It's really going to be fun to see what happens. And every team's got their returning coach across the league. So mm-hmm. I think that continuity is going to go a long way to make some in- incredible games this season. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, Sean Bowen, digital and in-stadium host for the Toronto Argonauts, coming on the show to talk double blue football. Well, uh, enjoy that bye week. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm going to get some stuff done around the house before we're, yeah, yeah before. <laughs> Before Thursday, and then we got to go out to BC after that. So I'll get to I'll get to the honey do list here throughout the course of next week, and then she's on her own for the rest of the summer. <laughs> cool. Thanks for coming on the show, Sean. Anytime, my man. I appreciate it. Yeah, let me know, and uh, I'll certainly jump back on throughout the course of the season. Uh, pleasure talking with you. Thanks again to Josh Smith, Cliffy D, Janine Richaud, and Sean Bowen for coming on the show to preview the CFL's Eastern Division. This episode of Two and Out is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for you and for them. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Week one of the CFL season is here, man. I'm excited. At times, it looked like we were never going to get here. But the first full 18-game season since 2019 is here. Thursday, the Calgary Stampeders host the Montreal Alouettes in the season opener. Friday night football, Bombers, Red Blacks in Winnipeg, and then a Saturday doubleheader. Ticats in Regina to take on the Riders. The Elks in BC to take on the Lions. I do have a fantasy lineup right now. It's still early. It could change. Bo Levi Mitchell, Johnny Augustine, Jamal Morrow, Reggie Bagleton, Lucky Whitehead, Martise Jackson, and the Edmonton Elks defense. That's what it is right now, but I'll probably change it 15 times. Uh, The remaining salary of $22 is pretty tempting. I love when that happens. The Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy Challenge is back. We'll go over the results for Ty and myself next week, and we'll get into the Week 2 Fantasy lineups as well. Monday, a very special episode of the 2 and Out podcast. Have an author joining the show, R.C. Christensen, the author of the book Border Boys, How Americans from Border Colleges Helped Western Canada Win a Football Championship. Of course, the story of the 1935 Winnipeg Winnipegs. I love that name. That's on Monday. Enjoy the season opening weekend in the CFL. Rate, review, and subscribe to Two and Out in your favorite podcatcher, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.